This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. This is Jimmy Conrad, your favorite former U.S. men's national team player and the host of the Call It What You Want podcast. And I'm here to tell you that Viore is a versatile clothing brand that speaks my language. It's inspired from the coastal California lifestyle just like me. Its products stand the test of time, just like me. And also just like me, it endeavors to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Fiori gear is designed to look great in everyday life while also being perfect for any workout activity. I'm currently rocking the men's Sunday performance jogger. And don't let the name deceive you. You can wear these babies any day of the week and in any situation. I'm talking going to the office, running errands, the gym, whatever your heart desires, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. So get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viori.com slash sports. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash sports. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Again, go to viori.com slash sports and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. Welcome to the Champions YouTube friends. Drop in your comments and questions in that chat and make sure you hammer the like and subscribe button as we review the action from this weekend's top fixtures all across Europe and Saudi Arabia. With us today in the House of Champions, we have Nigel Rio Coker and Michael Hood. Boys, how you doing, Nigel? I'm good, thanks. And yourself? Not too bad, Mike. How are you? I'm smiling cheek to cheek, and I think you know why. Let's get into it. Yes, let's get straight into it. We are going to begin with the Spanish Super Cup that did take place in Saudi Arabia, Nigel Rio Coker. It was an interesting location for this game and this fixture, the last fixtures to take place. Of course, Saudi Arabia in Riyadh. Um, but this game did not disappoint. It was a much better game to watch. Certainly, if you're a Barcelona fan out there, they run away with a convincing victory at the end of the day, Nigel. Congratulations to Javi, who had an outstanding game, a goal and two assists from him. Robert Lewandowski on the score sheet once again. And Pedri, Javi is the youngest player player in a Supercopa de España history to score in the final. Lewandowski now, Nigel Rio Coker, 20 goals for Barcelona across all competitions. Barcelona look pretty goddamn good, man. Do you know what, Ian? I think for me, the fact or the thing I'll pay attention to is really how good Barcelona looked as a team. Like, finally, you would start to actually get worried that everyone seems to know what they're doing now. There seems to be relationships being built all across the pitch. And let's not forget Busquets. Busquets, for his age, was absolutely sensational yesterday. This game was won in midfield. Mm -hmm. Barcelona dominated, dominated Real Madrid in that midfield area. Real Madrid had no answers, couldn't do anything about it. 
couldn't create any chances. And this was a Barcelona of old. This was a sensational performance by Barcelona. They deserve all the credit, all the plaudits that they exactly get. Exactly what, what though, Nigel. I don't want to just hear this was a sensational performance because everyone's going to say that, but exactly what oh. impressed you most about this team? I'll probably say for me with this Barcelona team, it was the real, it was the desire. There was a greater desire. There was more um, assertiveness when it came to that final third, willing to get forward, to score goals, to take chances. Mm. Real Madrid looked like they were struggling to create chances, to make anything happen, and they didn't seem to have any desire. There was a, what, last 15 minutes of the game, Barcelona were literally taking the mick out of this Real Madrid side by bopping the ball around one touch. Fran started to sing Ole. <laughs> Real Madrid players couldn't get near them. Couldn't get near them. This is a, a Real Madrid side that was absolutely embarrassed to the max. Could you imagine a Sergio Ramos in that Real Madrid side right now Oof, when Barcelona were popping the ball around in the midfield area? Your greatest rival, 3-0 up. And they're popping it one, and no one got around there. No one put someone in the air. No one left a challenge to like show any kind of passion or commitment. And I think I was even listening to the commentary, and they described it right because I thought about it as well. Real Madrid <laughs> looked like the team that was like, "Let's just get out of here." But they yeah. literally gave up. But take nothing away from this Barcelona performance. For me, I see now a much improved Barcelona side in the sense of understanding the relationships between all the players now, controlling of the game and just that great aggression and assertiveness from start to finish. They were sensational. Well, Nigel, I love that you said that they were sensational and I'll tell you why. Tactically, that is what they did. They just were out. Madrid were out coached. Xavi gets full credit for what he did. It's the first time we've seen Gavi play left wing. Gavi usually plays a center midfielder for Spain, box-to-box midfielder, sometimes attacking midfielder. First time we see him as a left wing. We've seen this in the past with FC Barcelona. Andres Iniesta, playing as a left winger, comes inside. They overloaded Real Madrid. Madrid plays a 4-3-3. When you have a left winger that tucks in, it becomes 4v3 in the midfield. And I thought Gavi, recognizing that Real Madrid, they do not recover well. In the Villarreal match in La Liga where they lost 2-1, could have been much worse. Villarreal overloaded the middle of the park. They were good in transition. Barcelona did the same. And Gavi recognized that as soon as the space was there, he made runs forward. And it was 1v1 with Antonio Rudiger. And Militao was not good today. And I thought that 2v1 that was created because he made runs out of midfield. Lewandowski now made Antonio Rudiger make a decision. And they could have won this game by much worse. So full credit tactically to Xavi and FC Barcelona. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a question for you, mate. Mm -hmm. Do you think from that performance today that Real Madrid's midfield is too old now? Mm. Well, listen, I looked at Tony Kroos taking a shot at the top of the box and he had options around him. He took a shot and obviously got his head up, had a quick look at goal. And I just watched his technique and I was just thinking to myself, like, my, oh my, he's starting to just look a little bit slow. We we can sit and criticize uh, their midfield. Obviously, we have to not forget what they did do last season. I mean, they pretty much blew us all away, Modric in particular with uh, his performances. and, And that has continued, obviously, into the World Cup as well. They are getting older. You can't shy away from the fact of that. But Real Madrid, Nigel, they have youngsters in their ranks that can play in midfield in place of these old stars. So if it's not working out with these old stars, you've got to start to put in some of the youngsters and give them an opportunity. You're spending a lot of money in that midfield, Real Madrid has. A lot of money. So there's an opportunity there for the youngsters to really get an opportunity to shine and go play. But I don't think that was the biggest problem today from Real Madrid. You touched upon a really big word, which caught my attention. Desire. 
I didn't see that desire from Real Madrid in the semi-final. Didn't see that desire from Real Madrid in this game today. And I think one of the problems having this game in Saudi Arabia takes away from the importance, maybe, of this game. If you play this game in Madrid, I can guarantee you it's a better performance from Real Madrid, or am I mistaken? Oh, yeah. I'm, 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 you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Ian, because I was thinking the same thing watching this game. And I was going to mention it in the group chat. For me, the atmosphere there just seemed so unauthentic. It seemed like it just, it was just a, a bit of a preseason friendly atmosphere of people being able to watch superstars that they might never get to. And that's what I can't stand when you do these domestic competitions in um, foreign territories for the sake of money. Because like you said there, Ian, if that game was in Spain, from when Real Madrid went 2-0 down to Barcelona, the atmosphere in that stadium would have been absolutely amazing. I think from us spectators watching it through the television, we lost a lot when it came to the atmosphere. And also for the fact of the feelings of Real Madrid fans would be known to the players and that could have re-energized the players. There was a lot lost there from having this competition not being played domestically in Spain. I'm I'm concerned about Real Madrid. Whether it's in Spain or Saudi Arabia, it could be on the moon. There is something not right about this Madrid team. When effort, when you're talking about effort, I understand it's a cup final. I don't care if it's the Carabao Cup, the Super Cup, the Men's League Cup. This is Real Madrid we're talking about. This is a team that shows up in cup competition. I'm concerned because I think we're now starting to see a trend of a lack of effort in midfield and throughout this team. I do agree with what both of you are saying. I think we've seen, we would have seen a bit more effort, but the way, the ease at which Barcelona was scoring the goals, the ease at which Villarreal scored their goals, that is concerning for Madrid. I won't even say it's the ease. It's just horrible defending. It's poor defending. And it's not at the level of Real Madrid standards. Like it's just not closing down. And again, it goes through the whole fact of, going through the team of lack of urgency, lack of real grit, belief, and there was no desire. That whole Real Madrid side to me showed no desire whatsoever from Nigel. defensively to even attacking wise. What did they create? What did they do? Nigel, Nothing. real quickly on the, on the age, and we've got a great question coming in. Obviously, we've already touched upon it here from SSB28. Hi to everybody out there who's in the group chat there. Nice to see Robbie Lohman in there. Nice to see Matt Osman in there. Nice to see you all uh, commenting. Please continue to uh, throw the comments in there. But Nigel, real quickly, just on the, the fact that we talk about the age factor. You know, when you have a lot of youngsters, and, and we've all been in that position where we've played in games and there's youngsters coming into the team. If the youngsters don't see that desire, that commitment, that energy, that enthusiasm, which we didn't really see, see from that midfield today in particular and also I didn't see much from Benzema today I know he got in score sheet but at the end of the day it's like these big guys these big names these experienced players you're looking up to and you're wanting the kids to learn from that if the kids don't see that desire and that willingness from these experienced superstars then really it's much more difficult for these youngsters to get motivated for these big games especially when they are in foreign countries to take place have you ever felt that before as a player it's up to you to race it basically push these youngsters through these games yeah, 100%. I've always felt that, that, you know, as a senior player, it was your job and responsibility to take all the pressures and burdens off young players coming through. Because what young players bring, which we saw in this Barcelona side, is that fearlessness, that, that, that ruthlessness, that desire, just that freedom. You know, that freedom and that belief and, and the youthfulness in the sense of how they played football not so long ago, whether it's playing with their friends, they take it into that professional environment. And it's refreshing and it can also re-inspire senior players. But when you don't have that, 
in your team as a youngster and you're looking for the senior players to lead the way, it's tough. It's tough to really feel that belief or that backing and feel that comfortable to go out and express yourself. And I think for me, when you look at that Barcelona performance today, that's what we saw. We saw that from the young players that they have, the talented players that you guys have already spoke about. They played with such freedom and fearlessness, no shackles on there, belief in themselves and the belief that they were given by the likes of Busquets, Lewandowski around them, trusting them and letting them go out there and expressing themselves and encouraging them. That's what carried this Barcelona side because they were truly sensational. No the more they play, I think the better they're going to be and the stronger they'll be. And I think if from that performance today, in, there's a lot of confidence that can be taken from that. And I would already say right now, the Barcelona will win La Liga. Mm. Great point I'll, right I'll there. Say that. Great point right there. Um, we want to touch upon Xavi in just a moment because there's a couple of nice comments coming in about Xavi. But I want to stick on Real Madrid real quickly because the future's not too far away around the corner with some big games coming up for them. Mike, I'm yeah. coming to you on this one because they do have Liverpool in the Champions League. Of course, you can watch it in Paramount Plus and CBS Sports. Um, but also, it's a massive game for them, obviously, Club World Cup as well, where you maybe have a Seattle Sounders going up against them at some point Ooh. here. But Real Madrid, the question mark right now, and it's a fantastic point that was brought up in our chat here from SSB28. He says, how much of this goes towards the direction of Ancelotti when you hold on to these experienced players, mm. tactically how you set up, how you motivate your players. Because in my opinion, Real Madrid, since uh, Benzema has won Ballon d'Or, they've sort of been just half-assing it to this point. I wonder what their focus is on. I wonder if their focus is to defend their Champions League. When you do the unthinkable, when you do it in the way that you did it last year, you have a lot to rejig and a lot to think about. And this Madrid team is very different. I know it's a lot of the same players, but it's very different from the team last year. There was a bit of a chip on the shoulder. It was question marks about... How is this Madrid team? Do they even still have it? Elder statesman, Benzema playing with a chip on his shoulder. It's so difficult as a player when you've climbed the summit, when you've done it, when you won the double to go and do it again because everyone now it, it wants to beat you. They, they want to annihilate you. And La Liga has gotten better this season. I look at their schedule coming up, and this is why I say I am worried about this Madrid team. They're, they're not really rotating as much because the players coming off the bench. We talk about young players. Marco Asensio, not in form. Scored a couple goals at the World Cup, but hasn't gotten a bunch of minutes because he's not in form. I think of Camavinga. He has not been good this season. Last season, in La Liga in the second half and in the Champions League, he was a super sub, just like he was for the French national team. You have to get your supporting cast to do what their job is, to support. When put on the field, they have to give more than they're giving right now. And I think that is the big issue for them. I'm just going to add to Michael's point. I think for me, Ian, when I look at this Real Madrid side and, and Real Madrid as a club as a whole, I would agree with Michael. I think for me, their priority is the Champions League. I think that is their biggest priority every season. I think it'll only turn to La Liga if you see a dominance of Barcelona winning the league title for maybe two or three years or four years consecutively, then yeah. But I think Real Madrid as a club, their priority is the Champions League because of the wealth of the competition and the notoriety that competition gets in world football. I think that's what their bread and butter staple diet and their focus is because they are, they've won the competition more than any other club, obviously, in Europe. And I think that is what they want. That is their benchmark, that competition. 
All right, let's talk about the job that Xavi has done. Uh, first trophy, uh, hands-on as a manager, trainer, coach, whatever you want to pronounce him, at Barcelona. And he certainly did an excellent job today. The performance was outstanding, wonderful to see. Great mix of the experience, but also the youngsters who are just fantastic to watch. Pedri getting his goal, but Xavi in particular for me is just uh, one uh, unbelievable player. But let's talk about Xavi in particular, his tactics, the way he sets up his team, and, and what impressed you more to, most about this performance. Michael, come to you first on this one. Because to me, he is... Uh, uh, someone who is putting together a bit of a masterclass. He took over or inherited what could have been an absolute disaster. It was a bit of a shit show. Mm. Now he's turned it into something that could be maybe worrying for the rest of Europe. I think he's brought a bit of respectability and and just standards. The Barcelona way, the Barcelona standard. Barcelona is, is a club that by nature, in their most successful period, you have to have La Masia players on the pitch. Players who know what the club is, who have that desire, and to have the likes of a Balde, to have a Gavi. I know Pedri didn't come from La Masia. It feels like he was because mm -hmm. of how young he is in his career. But you have young players and that balance of young and old. That is the Barcelona way. And to see the belief that he's given these young players. You see it on the Spanish national team. You're seeing it week in and week out. And really, to have gone after Robert Lewandowski, to have the target forward, it's all coming together in a beautiful way for them. And and I think if they were to get a La Liga title this year, I think one of the blessings in disguise is not having the distraction of the UEFA Champions League. I don't think they're there yet to compete in the Champions League. I, I'm, as a Manchester United fan, which I can't wait to talk about them, I am worried about that FC Barcelona matchup, given what I saw today against Madrid. I'll be worried too, Michael. I'll be worried. I'll take off that shirt as well right now. I'll take it halfway off. You know, I'll do be that. worried with that performance, mate. I just think, Ian, with that kind of win, it, it really does breed confidence. And I think with Barcelona, what they've been through, it's about breeding that winning mentality. That's what we've seen. And slowly but surely, they're coming together. It's just a bit sad, obviously, that their financial affairs weren't in order for so many years. Because if their financial affairs were actually run correctly and he could recruit the players that he truly wanted, this Barcelona side will be very scary. It will be the Barcelona of old that we used to be in awe of, how they changed world football with the style of play, where pretty much most teams lining up in, in the tunnel before playing Barcelona would have probably given up already. But um, I think it's great. It's needed when your club goes through such a traumatic period that you get your first trophy and you get it in style with an emphatic win against your biggest rivals and making them look, making it look like men versus boys. Yep. Well, congratulations to all Barcelona fans out there, especially the ones who are in our comments right now. Robbie, you in particular, very active in the comments right there. Love to see it, Barcelona, Robbie. Uh, let's move on to other games that did take place, obviously, in La Liga. Spanish games, of course, we're talking about Real Sociedad and Bilbao, another derby, which uh, went in the way of Real Sociedad, who now move up to third in the table. But we must have a quick thought about Atletico Madrid. They drew 1-1 with Almeria today. Reguilón got sent off in that game. Little statistic for you boys. Real quickly, I want to comment about the other games in La Liga and that derby win, of course, for Real Sociedad. But Atletico Madrid have 28 points after 17 games in La Liga this season. This is their lowest tally of this stage of any competition under Diego Simeone. I mean, it's really incredible to see how poor it has been for Atleti today. They should have won the game. They had a great opportunity to win the game towards the end of the game. Didn't happen for them. Red card, Region, and things started to change real quickly. Uh, not going well for Simeone here, Mike. No, it, it's, it's time for a change. I'm just going to say it. It's time for a change. It's gone stale for Atleti. 
And you have to say what he's done with this group, the La Liga titles, getting a Champions League final. There was a hunger, a bite, and a fire about this group. And that believability that they could go and challenge for something has gone out the window. And I really think Simeone has amassed too many of the same sort of players. Too many of the same. Yes, the Athletics of old, they had warriors on the field, but each of them could do something different. You have too many players who are ball winners, and then they pick their head up. And there's only two players to play the ball to, to go and beat the rest of the team. I think change is needed and fast. Nigel, you agree, right? Yeah, I do, Ian. I mean, I've, I've kind of had um, loads of thinking about this when it comes to managers in the modern game. And for me, my personal belief is I feel managers should be like players. I think some managers should have a lifespan of maybe four to eight years at a club until it's time to move on. The days of seeing the likes of like an Alex Ferguson or an Arsene Wenger staying at clubs for... 20 years or 20 years plus, they're gone. The game mm -hmm. has completely moved on so much. I think coming in as a manager, you'll have a period of time where you can get players of a certain generation to respond to you. And then after that, it's whether if you're smart and want to hire a slightly younger um, assistant coach who can relate to that generation. But I yeah. feel that managers now should be like players. You should give them a lifespan of four to seven or eight years at a club and you should move on because you can see it in so many different clubs of what goes on with managers really losing touch of having that connection with their players and that generation. And I think Michael's 100% right. It's definitely time for a change at Atletico Madrid and uh, time for a whole new restructure. Yeah, I think we're all kind of switching off from what's happening with Simone at Atleti, and that's what you don't want, especially with the squad of players that they do have. I'm looking forward to seeing a rejuvenated Atleti at some point, and hopefully Simeone finds himself at another club where he can be rejuvenated himself. Let's move on away from Spanish football. We turn our attention to the Italian game. Serie A was emphatic this weekend. There was goals galore. <laughs> it began on Friday night. It was awesome to watch Napoli with a convincing victory over Juventus. Five goals to one. Osimhen scored a double and got an assist in that game. Uh, Quaracilia, he had the goal and two assists in that game as Napoli romped Juventus. couple of statistics before I come to you, Nigel. Juve have conceded five goals in a Serie A game for the first time since 1993. And Napoli have scored five goals against Bianconeri for the second time in their history in the competition after, what, 1988, I believe it was, the last time they did so. This was Napoli at their best and Juve getting found out. Yeah, they did. And why? Because Michael gave them the kiss of death. <laughs> Michael backed Juventus and gave them the Drake kiss of death. I told you about this Napoli side. And like you said, Ian, Napoli rumped Juve. They absolutely rumped Juve. I like this Napoli side and I'll say it again and I'll keep saying it. They are a great team to watch. The way they play football, their approach and their style is just what can by any neutral fan to become a Napoli fan. If you have that same approach, Ian, to play every game, you will win more games than you lose. Juventus, for me, as usual, parked the bus. They did quite well uh, for most of the game. But I did say in the prediction of the pod previously before the weekend's fixtures, Napoli have too much in the attacking sense. And I love watching Qualia Qualiskelia. Because he is absolutely <laughs> sensational. He is one of the few wingers in European football. When he gets the ball at his feet, he is running at the defender. It doesn't matter who you are. He's saying to himself, I'm going to take you on and I'm going to embarrass you and I'm going to beat you. I love players like that. It reminds me of the old school days. You're talking about the greats we've watched, the likes of Ryan Giggs, uh, McManaman, all those types of players. And even now you've got young Ganacho at Manchester United 
Only God knows how long he'll stay there for. But it's yeah, a breath of fresh air when you watch these players, Ian. Because we've said it so many times with some of these other teams, they're too overcoached. They're too tactical. They're so predictable. And it makes the game so boring. But Napoli, for me, was sensational. The firepower they've got. And Osserman, for me, is still one of the top strikers in European football. Not just because of his goal-scoring ability, but also look at the defensive work he Presence. does for his team. Yeah. How hard he works defensively to win the ball back, desire to get the ball. And as soon as they win it, he is going right at down your throat. Thank you to Michael Ahood <laughs> for giving Juventus the kiss of death. You know what, Nigel? I'm just going to be very quick on this. I'm coming after yeah, you all be. your teams. I'm going to start supporting West Ham and Villa and continue this Drake <laughs> curse. I, I hate to say this. I hate to admit this on this pod. I was wrong, Nigel. You were right. You called it. There is something about this Napoli team. I am a believer. Why? Because of not just offensively what they do, the work rate of the entire team, how they pressed. I mean, they went man v man in midfield. Juve could not get out of their half right up until the Di Maria goal. The relentlessness of the Spalletti team is impressive. You have to applaud that. There's this heavy metal sort of football that they play, similar to what Liverpool did during this golden renaissance of Liverpool oh, yeah. football under Klopp. You're seeing it. It's so energizing to watch in Syria. And when you have a striker, one of the best strikers in the world, like Victor Osiman, I mean, he spun Brenner, Danilo, and Alexandro, the whole Brazilian trio. I mean, he spun them like he was doing samba, a little bit of samba in the final third. It just You, you just have to applaud him, man. First, first class. Krishna is loving the comments that are coming right now. Certainly talking about Napoli. Napoli. Love to hear it from you, Krishna. Thank you so much for jumping in the comments. Vic K saying, Awesome and African player of the year. 100%. He believes so. Rafa jumping in and saying, Awesome and Faradona were relentless. Juve had no answers. You love to see it. And it's the efficiency that caught my attention more than anything else. I love the work rate. I think it's incredible to see they had 14 shots in that game. 10 on target. Five goals wow. from Napoli. They are well, just I, incredibly efficient. Go yeah. ahead, Nigel. Just going to say this before we move on. So obviously we're going to talk about other games as well. I love what you just said there. Just remember you said that the efficiency of Napoli, how they approach the game in the sense of the final third, go there, have an end product and go again. Right. We're going to talk about other games. You must not forget that Juve didn't concede a goal for eight games yeah. until this game. And, and they conceded five. Yeah, and 10 shots on target tells you, tells you that they got found out. Let's have a quick whip around the other games that took place in Italy. Lecce 2, AC Milan 2. Milan were two goals behind and came back. Uh, they almost won it, but they just couldn't do it, uh, losing a little bit of ground at the top of the table. Inter, they won by a goal to nil. It was Lautaro Martinez who scored his third consecutive game, his ninth Serie A goal of the season, 11 across all competitions. They beat Hellas Verona at home. Atalanta 8, Salernitana 2. Atalanta have scored eight goals for the first time in their history in Serie A, the last team that netted eight goals in a Serie A match was Inter against Padova back in 1996. Nigel Rio Coker, there was an Englishman who played in that game and also scored in that game. Can you tell me who that was? Uh, what's his name? Jesus Christ. Uh, his name's gone, but I'm not going to say that. <laughs> if, if, I'm trying to think. I forgot his name. <laughs> we will throw it into the chat there. Everybody in the chat there, who was the Englishman who scored in the 8-2 game? Don't go Google it. For Inter against Padova back in 1996. Nobody in the chat is allowed to mention it either. That includes producer Des. Let's move on before we head to break and talk about the game that took place in Lisbon. It was the Lisbon derby, Benfica against Sporting. It was 2-2. Gonzalo Rama scored twice for Benfica. He came back in the game twice 
at Sporting, who had the lead twice in this game and threw it up. Pote and Trincao scored for Sporting. Benfica remained top of the table by four points. Quick comment from both of you. Uh, Benfica giving up a bit of uh, frustration here. Not at their best. They came back twice in this game, but we got to give Sporting maybe a bit more credit than we should, uh, should have done, certainly before the game, Mike. Yeah, this, this is a sporting Lisbon team that have good young attacking talent. This is a selling club. And when you, you see a player like Trincao, who has been quality for them the last few seasons, he had bright spots in the Champions League. He's a player they need for European competition as well as league play. They haven't been consistent because of their venture into European football, but he will have to be equally as good as when he started the season for them. So quality display from him, Gonzalo Ramos, man, the price tag just like Enzo Fernandez, just keep going up, 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 up. Big stacks for that man when he leaves. I just think for me, Mike, the only thing I'll add to that is the as talented as sporting is, the problem is inconsistency. They need to find greater consistency with the talent that they have. But that takes time. It will come. But as you said, they're a selling club. The problem is if they sell so much of their talent already at an early stage, it's going to be another one where you have to rebuild again, Get them, in, get these young players embedded into the system and the style. Get their confidence up, and again, it's that whole thing. But incons- inconsistency is Sporting's biggest problem. Yeah, I'm with you right there. Just real quickly before we go to break, Paris Saint-Germain are a goal behind right now, live as we record this. Rennes are beating them by a goal to nil. They've made a ton of changes. Mbappe wow. came on at halftime, uh, but they are losing by a goal to nil. And Roma have just made it 2-0. Uh, Dybala scored uh, the second goal. He scored two goals in that game. Uh, let's take a quick break. More to come from the boys when we return. When we come back, we will have a look at what happened in the Premier League this weekend, and we'll discuss some controversial refereeing decisions. House of Champions will be right back after this short break eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Just a reminder for everybody out there, please do not miss out on any of the Serie A action. Follow some of the biggest stars in the sport like Olivier Giroud, Rafa Leal, and Lautaro Martinez as they try to lead their teams to Scudetto. How will the table change going forward? It certainly has already this weekend. Which club has the best chance of winning it all? It looks like Napoli might be running away with it. Which clubs have the most to lose? <clears throat> UV. Find out all the answers and stream every single match from Italy's top soccer league live only on Paramount Plus. Try, hey, one month free if you want from us using the promo code Serie A. 
And oh, by the way, I've got to throw this in there. There was a great discussion between Poppy Miller, Mike Grella, Matteo Bonetti, and Marco Messina um, on the, the pregame show, postgame show on Friday. It was about um, which Juventus player would fit into this current Napoli squad. I mean, I'll leave it with you boys to think about it. We can talk about it another time. Not one. There. Not one. Yeah, not, not one. It's a great debate, one. great discussion. If you want to go check it out, go check out on uh, uh, CBS Sports Galazzo's um, social media channels. Fantastic to listen to and uh, also let us know your opinion as well. Welcome back. Let Mike say it, Ian. Which one, Bye, Mike? Mike? Chiesa. A healthy, informed, fit Chiesa. You, no. no, we're not Chiesa. talking about a healthy, informed. We're talking about which one now? None, not one. Good point. Good point. <laughs> there, was another player, there was another player that producer Mike's thrown in into our private crew shop here. It said that Chesney would fit into that mm. team as well. But I um, don't know right now. Would you, I wouldn't oh. even change a thing when you've got a team that's flying high right now um, in Europe, but also domestically. I think you probably leave it the way it is. Let's turn our attention to the Premier League. Uh, North London Derby took place today. It was a fantastic performance from Arsenal. Uh, wow. Nigel, you're shaking your head already here. Hugo Leach didn't have a great <laughs> game today. He was a bit disappointing. Uh, Martin Odegaard scored another fantastic goal here. Arsenal ran out victory. Um, but before I give you some statistics, uh, Nigel, uh, just let me know your thoughts on the game overall. What did I learn about Tottenham today, Ian? <laughs> Absolutely bloody nothing. It's the same Tottenham. They don't turn up in the first half and then second half, they have a bit more urgency because they're already a, a goal or two behind and they have to come out and play. Arsenal were absolutely sensational. Hats off to this Arsenal performance. They truly, truly were. And again, it was a game that I felt was dominated in the midfield area. Thomas Partey was absolutely sensational. Mm. They they really bossed Tottenham in that midfield area. And again, you talk about the point I made earlier before we went to break. Urgency and a bit of commitment and desire. Arsenal showed that in the final third. They got up there willing to make things happen. There was a greater desire to score a goal, greater desire to win the game by Arsenal in the final third. They have an end product, and that was it. Tottenham had periods of times in that game where they had good possession, round the edge of the box, no creativity, nothing. And it, for me, it drives me nuts how you've got Harry Kane, who is an aerial threat. We know what he can do in the box, outside the box, finishing-wise. He's an aerial threat. Why are you not putting good crosses from wide areas into the box? The best chance that Tottenham created in that first half was a cross by Hoybier, I believe, into Harry Kane, to um, force um, Ramsdale to make a save. Yep. Why did it take how long to make that actually happen? That's mm -hmm. the frustrating thing. But for me, take nothing away from Arsenal because they were sensational. And I learned nothing about Tottenham. And this is why Tottenham is still going to be the butt of all jokes about not being able to win <laughs> anything or any trophies because they just showed no desire, no real commitment in this game today in a North London derby. And it doesn't help to be fair when your goalkeeper, World Cup goalkeeper, winning goalkeeper is flapping at things and just flaps it into the back of the net as the first goal you can see <laughs> in a London derby that can actually be very detrimental to the team. I know you're going to concede goals, but you don't want to concede a goal like that of that calibre in a North London derby. Mike, I'm ready for you to go, but just a quick comment coming in from Matt. He says, hey, Nigel, what happened to Tottenham winning this game? <laughs> no, 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 Nigel, you've not. spoken already. It's Mike's no. turn. No, 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 right, no. I'm no. coming back for you, Matt. Don't worry. Stay there. You know, the Drake curse is real. I'm just happy to know it's not just me. The Drake curse in the Premier League is with Nigel Rio Coker. How can you back Tottenham 
hot Spurs, man, against this Arsenal team. No, I'm kidding. I, I actually backed Spurs. I said there was going to be emphatic Spurs win. So I, the Drake curse is actually rubbing off from me to you. And I hope it stays that way because that means it'll stay away from Manchester United in this game. Arsenal, they just keep rocking and rolling. And Martin Odegaard, eight goals, five assists. We were, we were questioning where were the goals going to come from with the injury to Gabriel Jesus, the, the lack of depth at striker. The unsung heroes of the team, they deserve all the plaudits. I'm so glad you mentioned Thomas Partey. He was an, just incredible, mercurial, some might say. His ability to just suck pressure or just regal out of pressure, excuse me, between two or three Ars or Tottenham players on two of the goals, on both goals, it was his entry pass into Bakayo Saka, breaking lines, playing Saka in behind. It was a mismatch between Saka and Sessegnon for 90 minutes. Sessegnon will have nightmares about Bakayo Saka just because of this performance. And in the final third, just the decisiveness, clinical approach from Arsenal, Ramsdale, class. He was the difference between preserving that lead to go to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, not just get three massive points, North London officially read yet again, but to go there and keep a shutout against a team that is in the Champions League knockout stages as well is a massive statement win for the Gunners. Mm -hmm. Massive statement win, Mike, you're right. And again, I think for me, what I've learned about Arsenal is they're showing the grit and the desire that's needed to be Premier League champions. That for me is what I learned. Again, Tottenham haven't learned anything not surprised by Tottenham. They're always going to be Tottenham. Not really winning anything and not really competing. Um, just for me, it really was a great game. <laughs> You're laughing, Ian, but it's the truth. You're like, oh, how do you feel? I ask Tottenham fans how they feel right now. I guarantee they feel as low. Some of them are probably at the end of two bottles of wine already because they were just that dreadful. And I think for me, Conte has to take a bit of the blame today because his team selection and everything that was going on was poor. He couldn't adjust his team or change anything when Arsenal were completely dominating. And uh, like Michael said, North London is red right now. And uh, you just got to give credit to Arsenal. And I really feel that this is this was a massive win for them. All right. Come on. Just for the record, actually, Ian, oh. Michael backed Tottenham. And then I said, I'm changing my actual oh, pick now because you backed Tottenham and I went to Arsenal. So there, yeah, there you, you go, Matt. You did, you mentioned did. it. <laughs> All right, yeah, let me just uh, let me just real quickly throw a few stats at you. Hugo Lloris has scored an own goal for the first time in his 354-game Premier League career. Unfortunate for him. I thought he should have done a bit better. Even though he did have that slight deflection, it throws him off. Uh, no midfielder has been directly involved in more Premier League goals this season. Martin Odegaard, 17 appearances, 8 goals, 5 assists. Well played by Michael LaHood right there. Throwing that one out, Martin Odegaard has already surpassed last season's tallies for both goal involvements. Uh, last season, he did, of course, have 7 goals, 5 assists. The seasons we just mentioned, he's got the 8 goals and five assists. Uh, the second half looked much better from Spurs, but of course, uh, Arsenal certainly uh, blew them away at the end of the day. And uh, I think that was uh, frustrations coming into play at the end of the game, where you saw Ramsdale go down, a uh, little incident where Charleston goes to go pick up his box or whatever it was, his glove bag or whatever it was behind the goal. And a fan thought it would be a good idea or a reason to go ahead and jump on the boarding and kick him in the back. Uh, Michael, thoughts on this one here? Not nice to see. Uh, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace. It's one thing to get beat and just get beat for 90 minutes, but but to take your frustrations out and the opposing player to try and get a reaction out of him, full credit, not just to Arsenal, but I think of Mikel Arteta 
after the match, you see him wrestling his players. You saw him wrestle Ramsdale, put him in the tunnel saying, hey, we've already won. No need to try and get vengeance. No need to become part of the problem that is the Tottenham Hotspur just the debacle that's happening right now. And also Granite Shaka, no strangers to altercation. He grabs Shaka as well and says, hey, it's not worth fighting in this manner. The FA will take care of it. But this is just a stain on the game ultimately for Tottenham, the ultimate stain that you can have. Yeah. I think it's frustrating. Nigel, you got any comments on that or should we move on? No, we can move on. All right, real quickly, Arsenal uh, wrapped it up here, Nigel, and uh, the the winners of the Premier League already. What do you think? I think the the Manchester United fixture is the big one because, again, Manchester United are playing well. I think that fixture is going to be a big decider because, listen, I, I would say that Arsenal, it's their title to throw away, 100%. But eight points still... This way through the season, nearly halfway through the season, still isn't a big point difference gap when you've still got to play, obviously, Manchester City and all these other clubs right now. So I think the title is still open, but Arsenal, it's theirs to throw away. Uh, real quickly, Roma have just wrapped up a 2-0 victory against Fiorentina. Dybala on the score sheet twice. Massive three points for Roma as they try to chase a top four finish. Let's get back to the Premier League. As Nigel just mentioned, Manchester United are back in a title race and they have a big game coming up against Arsenal. They had an emphatic victory, Michael. Look at that smile on your face. Against Manchester City in the derby, uh, Jack Grealish opened the score and came off the bench to make it 1-0 60 minutes into the game. Bruno Fernandes scored 78 minutes into this game and uh, probably the most controversial and talked about goal I have oh. seen for a long time. We can discuss it in just a moment here. But Marcus Rashford continues his fine form. Marcus Rashford, 27 of his 67 Premier League goals have been the winning goals of games and few better than winning in a Manchester derby. Overall thoughts, I know you're a United fan. You're wearing your jersey. You're wearing a big smile today, Michael Hood. Take the moment. Uh, Before I even talk about the players, I want to give a big shout out to Alfie Ten Hag, I mean, Eric Ten Hag (laughs) that Nigel mentioned (laughs) from the previous show. So shout out to Alfie, Eric Tin Hog for not backing down the pep. Going back to history, trivia question for you, actually, both of you. Can you name the club where Eric Tin Hog crossed paths with Pep Guardiola? Barcelona. Oh, Bayern Munich. Correct. He was a former reserve coach for Pep Guardiola. Just the audacity to go toe to toe with Pep and this just stacked. City team. I loved it. The difference in this game versus previous games, I think he learned from his lesson. I thought Fred Casemiro, excellent in midfield. Manchester United, they had more bite about them. They were getting closer to City. Christian Eriksen man-marking Rodri, but Fred, the job he did on Kevin De Bruyne was excellent. You have to applaud him. A player who doesn't start throughout the season, I think he's really found himself and reinvented himself to be so effective under Eric Ten Hag, I thought it was a big call to put Bruno Fernandez as a right winger, make him more narrow, and it worked really well. Early on in the first half, United were getting behind. City, I think they only had one shot, and United were peppering the goal. But this City team, if you don't punish him when you have your chances, there's too much quality. The one goal that they get, it becomes Fred, who gets sucked out wide, and it creates that gap for Jack Grealish to come off the bench and score a well-taken header. Beautiful ball from De Bruyne, but the persistence of the United team, the character that was shown to go on, stand it, and win the game. And it just had to be a Mancunian, Marcus Rashford, making me kiss. Wrong, wrong oh, place. Find the badge. Yeah, look at him. Look at him. <laughs> Kissing the wrong badge. No, I was so proud of United, so proud of this result. And we have one foot towards 
potential title race. That's all I'll say. Uh, One foot. Listen, Nigel, I don't have any time for you to analyze this game. I want to get into the controversial talking point because Michael Hood took about eight minutes right there <laughs> just discussing. Uh, just to update everybody, PSG have lost. They went down by a goal to nil against Rennes, uh, making it a tight race between them and Lons at the top of the table. Marseille have something to say about that as well. I'm sure Michael Hood will mention it. But let's get back to this game. Manchester Derby controversial talking point. Um, it, obviously, what happened, Nigel, was really interesting. We had... Um, a very controversial goal. Was he offside? Was he not offside? Social media absolutely blew up. And um, before I get your opinion, I want to just hear from Christina Uncle, our analyst and rules expert for CBS Sports, just to try and give you somewhat of an idea as to whether this was the correct decision or not. Producer Des, throw it away. Cheeky call, but the correct call for why Rashford was not flagged for offside leading up to the Fernandez goal. And you got to understand real quick that in offside, there are two parts. Are you in an offside position? The answer here for Rashford is yes. However, did you commit an offside infraction? And the answer is no. There are actually four different types of offsides infractions. Here, the only two things we are looking for is whether or not he interfered with an opponent or he interfered with a play. When the ball was threaded through, he had no impact on that first defender. And the defender trailing with Fernandez was also not impacted, meaning in the interfering of a physical component and preventing them from being able to defend the ball. So therefore, we're only looking at, did he interfere with play, which the VAR is only looking for whether or not Rashford actually made contact on the ball. The answer is no, he never touches the ball. And therefore, we keep our flag down. We wait and see. Fernandez puts the ball in the back of the net and is the correct decision by the officials for no offside against Rashford. Nigel. Well, Ian, what, what can I say? We've just had the professional referee there just explain the laws of the game. And I I think Eric Alfie Ten Hag said it right. He can see both sides and I can see both sides. If you're a Manchester United fan, I'm sure you're not going to see anything wrong with it. If you're a Manchester City fan, you're going to feel hard done by. As much as Marcus Rashford did not interfere with the play or a defender, he does make it more difficult by being there just physically for the defenders to be able to get the job done. And what he does ever so well is he does babysit and shield the ball so well for Fernandez to make that run inside and put it into the back of the net. But the Manchester City defender wasn't close enough to get near him. And I think when these type of situations happen as a players, you might, you, you might think to yourself, okay, it's going to be given for offside because of obviously Marcus Rashford being offside and babysitting the ball. But now with the laws of the game and players knowing it, maybe your best bet would have been to deliberately trip up Marcus Rashford then and see what happens if the ref calls a foul or something without knowing whether Marcus Rashford was offside or not. So it is a difficult one, but by the laws of the game, even though I would have to say it's a hard pill to swallow, Marcus Rashford didn't do anything wrong. Let me just stretch out before I give you my answer right here. I don't, <laughs> you can, you, you can give me the answer, but by the laws uh, of the game, he didn't do anything wrong, Ian. Yes, I understand. Listen, by the laws of the game, I completely understand it. And obviously, the decision was made. I'm a Manchester United fan, so obviously very happy that this decision was made and it was stuck to. Um, obviously, video review comes into play with any goal. They look at every single goal, so they try to find out whether it was offside or whether it wasn't offside. I put myself in that position, no, Nigel. I put myself as a player in that position. I put myself um, as a defender in that position. I'm also thinking about the goalkeeper himself in this position. You cannot tell me that the goalkeeper's position is not affected whatsoever yeah. by the run of Rashford. Rashford running towards the goal. If you look at the goalkeeper's position, he's facing Rashford 100%. If you, if you take Rashford out of that position, I mean, let's just say he's not there. What does the defender do? 
Something completely different. What does the second defender do? Something completely different. And what does the goalkeeper do? Something completely different. So nobody can convince me that this is a, a legitimate goal. I just don't get it. To me, as a Manchester United fan, once again, I say, delighted that the decision wasn't given. And I don't care what anyone says. I'm very happy. But to me, it was um, certainly someone interfering the play that affected the goalkeeper's position. And in the end, I have to say, it was a fantastic finish from Bruno. Real quickly, Mike, what's your thoughts? I, I thought it was offside initially. I, I, I had my hands in my head thinking, oh, oh, there was our chance. Here it goes. I'm grateful for the letter of the law. I think this comes down to the clear and obvious part of the ruling for VAR and offside decisions and other massive decisions. Uh, if there's a any uncertainty interpretation, we've seen that now in the modern game, that if it isn't obvious, we're just not going to touch it and let it play on. Full credit to Bruno Fernandez for recognizing the moment, though. If Marcus Rashford gives up on the play, there is no goal, but Bruno sees it through. That's why they always tell you, finish out the play. You never know what the reward could be, and that has a seismic impact on how this game turns out because he followed up the play and finished <laughs> things out. I love you too. Oh, Man United fan, Man United fan. You guys are full of crap. You know for a fact <laughs> nothing ever really gets given against Manchester United at Old Trafford. You guys always get it your own way at Old Trafford. Not recently. Been there and experienced it. Mm. You never get the big calls against you. Just take your three points and just go to sleep. Hey, 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 <laughs> your time's up here. Your time's up here, Rio Coca. Shut it, all right? Uh, could you, a few United statistics fans. to come out of this game right now. Manchester United, uh, the last 10 games at Old Trafford, win, 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 win across the board. 26 goals uh, scored, four goals conceded, seven clean sheets from those 10 games at Old Trafford. And United across all competitions, if you go back to last season, it was 49 games. They had 20 wins and 10 clean sheets. And from the 27 games they've had this year, it has been 21 wins and 12 clean sheets. Eric Ten Hag is building something incredible special Christina uncle thank you very much for that video we appreciate you and of course I feel sorry for any official who's taken the heat after that and it's really an incredible decision that was let go or given doesn't matter we have to move on to the other fixtures that took place in the Premier League uh Fulham they got a victory against Chelsea way back in the day it was a while ago we can't even remember that because they have both played since then they beat uh, uh Chelsea by two goals to one Jal Felix was sent off in that game therefore uh, getting a large suspension Villa on the Friday they beat uh, leads by two goals to one Bailey and Buendia scoring goals Bailey uh, Nigel you look pretty happy with Bailey's performance and uh, Mike Jesse Marsh under pressure we'll start with you Nigel no nah, Bailey's been sensational since Steven Gerrard has left uh, he's absolutely been on fine form he looks like now he's fully fit gearing to go and he's the talent that we did see as you know as well Ian playing in in, in the Bundesliga he was sensational he's starting to show the talent that he has right, now yeah. in the Premier League yeah, for Leeds, I'm getting a bit worried. I think Leeds is a beneficiary. They are, they're not playing poorly, but you get zero points for almost winning games or almost tying games. This is a results business. The Premier League is the biggest results league in the world, but Leeds are the beneficiary of the fact that Ever Everton are absolute dog crap and everyone else, <laughs> Southampton on the up and up, but they're the beneficiaries of teams below them that are just playing worse and not getting yeah. results. That has to change because that will not always happen to bail you out. Yeah, I'm glad you kept it away from the five-minute answer right there, Michael, because we've got to move on there. <laughs> Southampton did get the 2-1 victory over Everton. Everton owners were told not to go to the game because protests were clearly heavy during and after the game. Ward Prowse scoring an unbelievable free kick, by the way, to win the game for Southampton, who are on the up-and-up, as Michael just mentioned. Liverpool go down by three goals to nil against Brighton. Brighton flying high. 12 goals scored in their last three games across all competitions. Brighton just looking brilliant. Liverpool looking absolutely shit recently. 
recently. Newcastle today getting the victory by a goal to nil. Alexander Ishak winning it at the end. It was a controversial penalty in this game. Mitrovic had a double touch of the ball, went to hit the ball, kicked it off his standing leg. I mean, this is like child's play. Newcastle moving up to third in the table. Real thoughts. And please feel free to take it anywhere you want here, Nigel. On what, mate? Everything you just spoke about or just the Newcastle? One comment from anything you want. <laughs> Great win by Newcastle and congratulations to Brighton because it yes. was a very convincing dismantling performance of Liverpool. They really took it to Liverpool and they were absolutely sensational. And I'll say it, Caicedo is the midfielder that a lot of these teams need in the Premier League right now. He was sensational mm -hmm. alongside McAllister. You know, that... Where's the respect for Sully Marsh? This guy's been in fuego as of late. Holy moly. This guy was playing right wing back, utility guy a year ago, and the start of the season. I cannot wait for him to get an England call-up. He's deserving of it. If he keeps this form up, he's deserving of it right now. Love what I see from he and Matoma. They were excellent using their pace to get him behind, expose Liverpool. The, the absence of Virgil van Dijk was just glaring for Liverpool. Massive problems. It gets worse. I'm going to go at the bottom end of the table, man. What Wolves and Southampton are doing. New managers coming in. I picked Wolves. I, I think I actually picked both of those teams to get relegated at the end of at the end that's, of. That's the why season. they're staying up, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did pick Arsenal to win the league. So, no, nah, I'm kidding. I didn't pick Arsenal to win the league. I did pick City. So everything is happening for a reason because I picked them. But what Southampton is doing, all it takes in the Premier League, especially in English football, and as you know this from personal experience, one win against a top side can change your entire momentum. That cup victory over Manchester City, although it was rotated City side, you can see Southampton playing with just a big S on their chest, not just for Superman, but for Southampton. They look unified. James Ward-Prowse, this guy looks like the James Ward-Prowse with his free kick and just wow. his ability to arrive in the box, quality in the final third that was a part of the England fold in the last year. Uh, Producer Des, if you could get that video ready from the Everton fans and their reaction after the game here real quickly. Nigel, this is not what you want to see from Everton fans post-game here. I am really impressed with the player going out here. This is Jeremina going out to discuss with the fans. Scouses are difficult to deal with, especially Everton fans. Clearly frustrated. Lampard under pressure. It's not just Scouser fans, mate. I've been in them type of situations <laughs> before. Yeah, trust me, you've got to stand your ground. It's yeah. more about the character and the person that you are as a footballer where you could get respect from some of the fans. But the frustration is there. And I'm sorry, but you look at the squad Everton have. The talent and the players there, they should not be in the situation they're in right now. That's just a, 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 the, the obvious fact there. They should not be in that situation with the talent that they have there. And the thing with fans is all they want to see is commitment. For people who don't know about Everton, the club, or you know, are not sure about that area, Everton fans are very passionate. Their football club is their life. And that goes for a lot of clubs in England. You need to show that commitment and the desire on the football pitch. And I think that's the frustrating element from the fans. If they see that by the players, these proper situations probably wouldn't occur. And again, I think for them is they're worried of, okay, if our club goes down, you're going to leave. You're just going to go somewhere else. You're not going to stay here. So if you're not going to do that, then just show us the commitment and desire now. Like we need a leader. And I think the thing he's right is, if I listen to this conversation properly again, what I remember is they want to see a leader. That's the fans crying out for a leader of the team. Come out and say something, wear it on your chest, take responsibility. And if the fans are saying that, what do you think we're seeing on the pitch? Like the Everton don't have a leader. And that's a, 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 a far cry from the fans to show a leader. Yeah. Do you know what he was actually saying? He said, hey, lads, hey, lads, what are you doing? Show some ass, will you? Go in and show some ass, play for the 
Yeah. You know what I mean? No, listen, it's horrible to see what's happening to Everton Football Club. I got many mates who are Everton fans out there, and uh, to see what the players are going through is really unfortunate. Of course, Frank Lampard as well, known well from his time in New York City Football Club, and uh, just not great to see. I hope Everton can turn it around. I hope Frank turns it around. I don't know if he'll be get, yeah. given uh, time. From that situation happening there, let's just say, let's pray for Everton fans playing at Goodison Park from now on to the rest of the season, especially when it's because it's going to be a horrible place. You have to have strong yep. mentality mm. and the thickest of thickest skins as a football player, because it's not just about you. Your family are going to get it too. Your family yep. are going to get abused if everyone knows who your family is and stuff like that. You have to be a real warrior to play in that environment. All right, we're running out of time because we're about to break a record for the longest show ever on a Sunday. Uh, breaking news from Chelsea Football Club today. They did get their victory and they did, of course, uh, throw uh, Mikalo Mudrik onto the pitch today with his Ukrainian flag. Love to see it. 108 million it is on an eight and a half year deal. Michael LaHood, uh, eight and a half year deal. A young player's a good player. There's been more noise in the transfer window about this kid. I'm fed up. I hope he's bloody good, man. Are you kidding me? This is absolute ridiculousness. Ridiculousness. All I can say is Todd Bowley, he is the new Jerry Jones. He's the Jerry Jones of the Premier League. This is what we see from the likes of Jerry Jones in the NFL. It's ridiculous. That's all I'll say. It's ridiculous. Credit to the player and his agent. They just got paid to be in London. But oof, he's going to miss out on Arsenal Football Club and what they're doing. I think that would have been a better fit for him. Do you know what, Mike and Ian? I think for me, the point is Mudrick's done a lot of social media stuff saying he wants to go to Arsenal, made it care that Arsenal was his number one team. How can you look at yourself in the mirror now that you've gone to Chelsea? Like, you really, I think for me as a player, you've embarrassed yourself. If you wanted to go to Arsenal, keep it to yourself. Don't go on social media and sell yourself. And then now Chelsea comes in and you go and join Chelsea and then you're smiling and I'm happy. Of course you're happy. You've got an eight-year deal. You've been paying crazy. You, they paid a crazy price tag for you. I'm not bothered about his wages. That's not my business. All I know is this just makes it more determined. I don't care how many Chelsea fans we've got listening. I hope they don't make top four. And I'm sure they're not going to make top four. But I hope they crash and burn because they just <laughs> have no sense of direction of what they're doing. 200,000 a week, Nigel, over eight and a half years. Not bad for Madrid. He's got a good social media presence and apparently got a very good agent as well. More from Fabrizio Romano as we get into deep details about how this deal took place, what happened, how Chelsea hijacked this deal. Can't wait. 9 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, so make sure everybody tunes in. Final thoughts before we go. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Shakira recently announced, and we talked about it last week on our show, um, <laughs> that she was still a bit frustrated with uh, Gerard Piquet. <laughs> and said that he traded in a Ferrari for a Twingo and PK rolled up in this car today. Thoughts, Michael? <laughs> Come on. Gerard PK has no Brilliant. chill, man. Has no chill. <laughs> I, <laughs> this is, I, I hope Brilliant. I want to get my popcorn out and just keep eating and watching this escalate because this is what, as a neutral to their relationship, this is what we all deserve. This is, this is crazy. Uh, Nigel. I have nothing to say. Man. I've got more interesting things going on in life than worry about Shakira <laughs> and PK, right? There's more interest. He's, he's literally just trolling her. And the thing is, she is hurt. If you weren't hurt and you moved on, you wouldn't be making a diss song about PK and saying about a Rolex to that car and then a Casio, Casio. to something else. And then <laughs> PK is getting a sponsorship with Casio and driving that car, which just shows how seriously he took you. It's, it's Na just Nigel, no way you're giving up the Ferrari, right? No way. <laughs> I don't drive Ferraris, mate. I'm very quiet and humble and I keep myself. I'm that guy ben, in the corner. Bentley, Bentley. I'm that guy yeah. in the corner. 
the Rolls Royce. I forgot about that one. Sorry. Yeah, All right, boys. I got right, Ian. I had a Ferrari in my career, and I got rid of it after two months because I didn't like the noise and the attention. It was only just the, the dream to get one. I got one. I'm like, no, nah, I don't like this. Got rid of it. Nigel went back to the twingle. I appreciate you, mate. All right, boys. Great job, as always. Great stuff this weekend. Everybody out there, remember, we'll be back at it on Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern with the legendary Fabrizio Romano. Myself and the boys will be uh, following on from Fabrizio and discussing all the craziness surrounding the Mudrik transfer, but everything else that's going on in the transfer market right now. Uh, Big shout out to everybody. Thank you so much for listening to House of Champions. Please take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen your podcast also available as videos so subscribe to us on youtube like i said back at it monday 9 a.m eastern with Fabrizio romano see you then go on napoli